I'm glad to be here and uh, just want to spend some time in the Word with you. Uh, I may hit a little hard on some things, uh, but I think it's, it's needed. And so you have uh, your hand out there. And so, again, you've, you've met my wife, Rosie, so I want to thank her for being here. So uh, I want to talk to you uh, on the danger of dysfunction and the dynamics of discipleship. The danger of dysfunction and the dynamics of discipleship. So I have a question. Have you been raised in a dysfunctional family? Do you know people who are in one or was raised in one? Has that dysfunction continued to control and influence you or them? You see, our God is a mighty and his awesome, he's mighty and his awesome power uh, can rise up anyone out of dysfunction to become a discipler or a leader in ministry. So this morning I want to take you on a journey where we will see how God has a plan even in the midst of dysfunction. So I, I'm going to hit on some key words in Dysfunction, discipline, dreams, decisions, darkness, and discipleship. So seeing that this is Father's Day, we oftentimes will focus on just fathers, but I want to focus on every one of you today so that you can recognize that God has a plan for you. That even if you don't have a father in your life right now, you need to understand that you have a heavenly father who will support you and provide for you. He will speak to your heart as you read the word of God and see the plan that he has for you. You know, I've been fascinated in knowing my own family heritage. And so I don't recall meeting my great-grandfather, my great-grandmother, my grandfather, or my grandmother. I don't recall it. They weren't around. In fact, I know that they came to the Midwest from Kentucky and some of those areas. And so I use ancestry to see their names and where they came from. But even in the midst of the oral history and all of that, I can see that my family has dysfunction. They had dreams, they had discipline, they had discipleship, even in the midst of all the destinations that they went to. So let me give you a point here. It is important to know that when children grow up in dysfunctional dynamics, they may repeat the same mistakes that their dysfunctional family made it can become a cycle. Yet, we serve an awesome God who can take your dysfunction and make it into awesome dynamic discipleship. You see, all throughout the Bible, we will find where God used dreams to guide men to carry out his plan. So today I wanna to direct your attention to situations in the Bible where God allowed dysfunction and dreams to play a vital role in legacies. In the Old Testament, we find Joseph. And I know that's, that's an old story. We did it when as children. But I want to look at Joseph's life from a different perspective because ultimately, those dreams that Joseph had, it caused his brothers to secretly sell him into Egypt as a slave. And that secret would cause them to lie to their father Jacob, telling him that a wild animal had killed Joseph. You see, God will give us dreams that will impact our lives and our walk with him. And often he gives those to us to help others to carry out his plans. So for some of you who don't know me, and Kenny uh, introduced you to me, but I, I want to play on that word because he calls me Pops. And uh, yes, I led him to the Lord and spent a great amount of time discipling him and sharing life and the part that he didn't tell you about was he spent a whole lot of time at my barbecue restaurant eating food. <laughs> so I had a restaurant in Raytown called Dave's Sweet Saber Barbecue, and it was a Christian restaurant, and he, he knew about the beef sandwiches there. <laughs> so I also took on that role of his earthly father, and so I, I don't take that lightly because his father is a hero to me because his father died saving a young lady who was drowning. And uh, his father collapsed back into that water and passed. And so, um, and he was just two years old when that happened. And so 
but we all know the story of Joseph who dreamed a dream and told it to his brothers. And so we first come into the life of Joseph in Genesis 30. So you, a lot of you probably watched the This Is Us show, right? And This Is Us is uh, a show that you have to really watch it to see. It, it takes you from present to past. And then, you know, you, it goes back and forth, back and forth. And, and you've got to stick with it. So I want to talk about Joseph's dysfunctional family. You'll find in Genesis 30, on your slide there, verse 22 to 24, and God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb, and she conceived and bare a son, and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. So Rachel got another son. She even knew, she predicted that God would give her another son, but with bitter results. And so we'll talk about that. So here's my first key point, the complexity of family dysfunction. The complexity of family dysfunction. So Joseph's family was not new to secrets and dysfunction. So if I can jump ahead of the story, I suspect that Joseph at the fresh age of 17 was curious, as I was, about his ancestors and probably talked to Jacob, his pops. Let's call Jacob pops. Asking about what went on in the family heritage. Jacob probably said, son, there's been a lot of family dysfunction, but God brought us through it and blessed us. So I can visualize Jacob saying to his son, Joseph, that not too often in family history, the family did things that they thought was helping God out, even after God told them what was going to happen. Jacob probably said, son, your great-grandfather Abraham was promised by God that he would be blessed in inheriting the land of Canaan that through his nation a great blessing would be to them. I can envision Jacob saying, God promised your great-grandpa Abraham an heir, one whom he and Sarah, who was barren, would birth at a very old age. Now, you know, I don't know much about birth and all those kinds of things. My wife does, but I don't. I'm a man, so I don't have a clue when it comes to those type of things. And so, uh, uh, but Abraham, he, he exercised faith, yet we find that Sarai, at that time, her name was changed to Sarah, she came up with a scheme to help God out. She came up with this scheme because she wanted Abraham to have this promised child. You know, Jacob said, probably to Joseph, your great-grandmother Sarah was barren and had no children, thinking she could help him out. So she encouraged Abraham to go into her handmaid, Hagar, if you know that story. Well, like some men, Abraham did not fight her on that. You know what I'm saying? It was her idea, and he didn't say, no, no, honey, no, no, no. He did not fight her on that. So what happened was Sarah ended up despising Hagar, and she dealt harshly with her causing Hagar to flee. And when she fled, she meets the pre-incarnate Christ. And the, that's who's the angel of the Lord. And he sends her back to Sarah to submit to her. The angel of the Lord told her that a son would be born and to name him Ishmael. If you know that story. Ishmael means God hears. Genesis 16, 15. Now, Ishmael was Abraham's oldest, but he would not be the promised son. Tradition has been that the oldest son gets the blessing. So this dysfunction will, is continues to fester. So here's my point. Even when you think it's your job to help God out, you will find that God does not need your help. He does not need your help. So often we get ahead of God thinking that our thoughts make sense. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Joseph probably said, wait, wait, pops. So you're saying my grandfather Isaac was the promised son, not Ishmael? Oh my, pop, that's drama. That's drama. If God knew that he would make grandfather Isaac to be the blessings, then wasn't my great-grandfather Abraham told by God to put grandfather Isaac on the altar to sacrifice? I can picture this conversation. 
Jacob said, yeah, Joseph, my dad Isaac was obedient to your great-grandfather, and God provided a ram. You see, Joseph, being a young man, probably did not comprehend all the drama that's been going on in his family. Not understanding that his great-grandfather Abraham had faith and would have really sacrificed, he didn't know that. He said, would he really have sacrificed my grandfather Isaac? You know, sometimes you have to understand when you're in the line of discipleship, you're going to be put in a position where you have to make some decisions and God wants you to make that decision based on, on his plan, not your plan. Not your plan. Here's a point. There will be times when we don't understand what God is doing, so we must exercise faith in God, even in uncertainty. Even uncertainty. Exercise faith. You see, in the midst of family dysfunction, God has a plan for you if you would submit to his will and his work. Well, we know that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. And he, so he probably told Jacob, Joseph more about himself. But this favoritism would ultimately cause Joseph to be hated by his brothers. In Ephesians 37, 3, it says, Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was a son of his old age, so he made him a coat of many colors. Here's my point. As a parent, you have to be careful about showing favoritism. I would imagine that Jacob let Joseph know how much he loved Rachel, who was Joseph's mother, because Joseph was the firstborn unto Rachel because Rachel was barren also. She couldn't have any children. Rachel said in Genesis 30, verse 23, God hath taken away my reproach. And right before Joseph turned 17, his mother Rachel conceived again, and she had Benjamin, but she died during that childbirth. Let me tell you something about when secrets hurt. In all probability, Jacob still vividly remembered that he was also his mother, Rebekah's favorite child. Jacob remembered how his mother came up with a scheme to make sure that Jacob got the blessing. Joseph probably asked his pops, Pops, why was Uncle Esau so mad at you back then? We're talking drama here. We're talking dysfunction. And I'm sure Jacob probably said, You see, son, your grandma Rebecca was barren and could not have children. Your grandpa Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife, and the Lord granted the request. You see, looking at this story, bear in mind the outcome, not the method, was all in God's plan. God told Rebekah before Esau and Jacob was born the future history. We see that in our slide, Genesis 25, 23. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. So Jacob, a schemer himself, he remembered how he convinced Esau to give up his birthright. Remember that story? And he did all that. Esau gave it up for just a bowl of lentils, beans, whatever it was. But tradition and scripture shows that the firstborn gets the double portion of all that the father hath. And we find that in Deuteronomy 21.7. By giving him a double portion of all that he hath, for he is the beginning of his strength, and the right of the firstborn is his. Looking back, Esau thought that he would get the family blessing. After all, he was the oldest son. He should get the blessing. But Rebekah overhears the conversation between Isaac and Esau, and she remembers what God told her. So she began to craft a scheme to make sure that God, what God told her becomes a reality. Now, I don't know about you, but God did not tell her to create lies. And if you think that it's your job to lie, to push God's plan, that's wrong. That's not what God is asking and he didn't want her to do that. But what she does is she helps Jacob to deceive his father, who is blind. He and his mother, they hold a secret from Isaac. So they cheat his brother Esau out of the blessing, and so they deceive him by coming up with the savory meat and these goat skins. Number four, regardless of how sincere you are in helping God, you have to seek the Lord in prayer and ask yourself, is this something that God would approve? 
when you're making decisions, you have to ask yourself, does God approve that? You see, when the Lord has a plan, we don't have to lie to make that, that plan materialize. God is omnipotent and can make his plan become realized in spite of our doubt. Maybe you're considering moving somewhere on a job change or whatever. You're, you're considering asking for a position in ministry in this church and you're worried about it. So I don't know. You have to play, pray about that consistently. Don't try to devise a scheme that you can figure out how you can get past other people just to take on a position. The, the focus is don't let dysfunction move ahead of discipleship. You see, in, in spite of the dysfunction, Jacob receives the blessing from Isaac. The slide, Genesis 27. Therefore God give thee of the dew of the heaven and the, the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's son bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curses thee and blessed be he that blesses thee. So Jacob got the blessing, but he schemed to get it. And he did it with his mother. What happens? Esau returns. Esau comes back and he gives his father some of this savory meat. And Isaac is confused. Isaac's confused because, first of all, he could not see him because they devised this plan. Genesis 27, verse 31 and 33, and he also had made savory meat and brought it unto his father. And said unto his father, Let my father rise and eat of his son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac his father said unto him, Who art thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it to me? And I have eaten of all of it that before thou camest, and have blessed him, yea, and he shall be blessed. Isaac let him know that his brother was going to be blessed. You see, no matter how hard Esau begged, Isaac could not take the power of the blessings away from Jacob. So Esau becomes angry and seeks to kill his brother. We're talking dysfunction. We're talking drama. Genesis 27, 41, And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessings wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand, then will I slay my brother Jacob. So the dysfunction continues because Rebecca says, you got to go live with your uncle Laban. So thinking that I'm sure Jacob feels like, well, going to live with uncle Laban is going to be cool. That's my mom's brother. But when he got there, dysfunction continued. And you know that story. You see, it is so easy for us to react in anger when we don't understand when God has his hands on a situation and is in control. God was in control. But Esau was reacting in anger. Esau's anger was so incensed that even though his father Isaac forbade him to take a wife of the daughters of Canaan, that is exactly what he did. You see, what happens is two wrongs don't make a right. You continue to get that dysfunction here and here and here and here. And what happens is it just, it's an epidemic. Genesis 28, 8 and 9, and Esau seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not his father. Isaac he didn't please Isaac. So how many of your kids, your brothers and sisters, or you have done things to displease your father even because you knew it? Or your mom? You, did, you made some decisions that you knew would displease them, but you did it anyway because you were trying to get even. Then went Esau unto Ishmael and took him to the wives which he had at Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebuchadnezzar, to be his wife. You see, the point is, when you use deceptions and lies to advance your plans, you can cause some to fall into anger and unforgiveness. This, uh, that dysfunction continues. So we know the story as, as Jacob would flee to Uncle Laban's place and encounter some dysfunction. There he had to go through many years of trial just to try to marry Joseph's mother, Rachel. I would imagine that Joseph now is struggling with hearing about so much family dysfunction. But you know what? God was preparing him for a good work. He was preparing him for a good work. 
Number seven, regardless of any dysfunction you had or experiencing, God will allow you to go through trials to build you up and prepare you to give him glory and honor. Trials are essential for growth. But just like secrets hurt, forgiveness heals. Genesis 31.3, And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. You see, in chapter 32, we see Jacob sending a message to Esau. And watch how Jacob humbles himself to his brother. He calls Esau Lord, and he calls himself a servant. In Genesis 32, 3 to 4, And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall you speak unto my Lord Esau, thy servant Jacob, saith thus. I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I might find grace in thy sight. So he reduced himself down to be a servant. And you're going to get into situations when you have caused anger, you have caused hurt in your families or others, maybe in the church, maybe you struggled with some of the decisions that were made. You have to understand, you have to humble yourself and make yourself a servant because you can't be the leader all the time. But you, he called Esau Lord. Point eight, when we want to win over the hearts of those whom we have hurt or offended, we must humble ourselves and seek unity, unity and favor. You know what happened? Esau forgave his brother. He forgave his brother and welcomed him home. Why? Because Jacob initiated the forgiveness and reconciliation process. You should be doing that. If you've hurt somebody and you know that it needs to be taken care of, you need to make amends with them. Let them know, like, you know what? If it's an ex-wife or an ex-husband, if it's family, if it's your father or your mother, you have to make that amends. And you have to do it. It could be in the form of a letter. It could be in the form of a phone call. It could be in person. Don't put yourself in harm's way to be around someone who's, you know, is abusive. But I'm saying, you have to make that initial move. Here's my key point number two, the comprehension of spiritual discipline. Joseph's family had a long history of dysfunction. The Canaanite ruler defiled his sister Dinah. So Joseph's brother, Simeon and Levi, got revenge, and they killed all the men in the city. And you know that story. But in the Bible, Ephesians 4.26 teaches us, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So the best solution to solving generational dysfunction is biblical discipline. A lack of discipline in our lives will cause us to make irrational decisions. As believers, we must build our life around character and conforming to the will of God. Discipleship is one of the best tools to grow and build spiritual disciplines. 1 Timothy 4, 7-8 But refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. So Joseph's family, they struggled with decision-making. But it did not have to be duplicated in a cycle from generation to generation. But in the Word of God, we can see that dysfunction and lack of discipline we can see that to teach us vital components for our own spiritual growth. What do you want to do? Do you want to stay in that dysfunctional setting? Or do you want to move forward and be used by God? You see, Joseph lived with his family for 17 years that was dominated by immorality, lying, manipulation, and more. While Joseph could have fallen into generational family dysfunctional curse, we see how God allowed him to go through trials to make him a man of integrity. Is that you? Do you want to be a man or a woman of integrity? Do you want to move forward past that? Well, here's my point. The choice of spiritual discipline. Point three, the choice of spiritual discipline. See, God gives, Paul gives us clear and convincing words in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 to 27 that helps us picture the challenges that Joseph endured and embraced. And it says, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things, 
Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it to subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. What that scripture illustrates is a contest contending with adversaries. Joseph had adversaries, and he chose to contend with him. He could have quit in this story and just became a Hebrew slave, but he didn't. You see, you and I must not let anything keep us from being disciples. I love to see the fruit that has resulted of the time that I spent with Kenny. But it's not about me. It's about the Lord. I did nothing. God used me. God can use you. And you can start seeing the, the awesome tree that God builds with all the people that go out across the world. So I just remember going to a track meet with my grandson, Kenny Jr. And I was watching him run the 800 meter run against other runners. And that particular race, they disciplined themselves to try and finish first. Each of those young men regarded the other runners as adversaries. They focused on the finish line. Staying in the race meant practicing steadfast discipline, not to be baited by another runner into running so fast that they would run out of wind. You see, they all ran their own race, but it took discipline. My question with you, are you temperate, having self-control? You can bet that Sarah wanted Joseph to, Satan wanted Joseph to fail. That's exactly what Satan wanted him to do. He wanted him to fail. First Peter 5, 8 and 9, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You see, like Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, Joseph was willing to suffer pain and imprisonment instead of the luxuries of being in Potiphar's palace. Looking back at that story, I can envision Jacob telling Joseph, you know what, that's enough about me and your ancestors. Go feed the flock with your brothers. And that's where the story picks up. This function continues. Because in Genesis 37, 2, and this is where we meet Joseph, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with his sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zipha, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Interesting enough, the Bible doesn't tell us what that evil report was. We don't see it. But Joseph coming back to tell his father about his half-brothers of, of other mothers, that doesn't sound good. The brothers, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, had different mothers than his mother, Rachel. Yet, Jacob, Israel, he says nothing about this report from Joseph. Maybe his anger prompted him to make Joseph a coat of many colors. You've seen that story. Chapter 27, verse 3, 37, verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was a son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Verse 4 of chapter 37. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably with him. This second time, something happened. The first time was when Joseph came back and gave the evil report. Now, here comes a favoritism coat. Boy, he's really doing some stuff to it. Whether you're a father or not, it's important, or a mother, it's important that you avoid showing favoritism to your particular children, seeing that it can cause division and animosity in your family. Point, as a ministry leader, seek to build every ministry member with high esteem, recognizing that each one, regardless of worth, brings valuable tools to the ministry. Jacob had to think back when his father Isaac, Isaac loved Esau more than him, yet he was a part of the line and scheme to get the blessing. At that time, Esau was devastated, but only God could correct that family. Jacob was also tricked and lied to by his uncle, uncle Laban, and he was probably still willing this, to deal with this anger and guilt that came about being with his uncle. You see, when building your family, you have to be wise to avoid the mistakes that others made 
by, and, and keep holding vengeance. Because when you hold vengeance, it gets nowhere. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Here's the point. While you might break the dysfunctional cycle, there is emotional damage also that needs repairing. Maybe you stop doing that, but emotionally you're still hanging on to some of that. You're still angry because of something that someone did to you, whether it's your mom, your dad, your sister, your brothers, your boss, your pastor, whoever. You don't like the decision that they made. So maybe you broke that dysfunctional cycle, but you're still dealing emotionally with some of that. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, Now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. So use that to grow. Use that as a way of understanding how you can be a better person. Here's my point, key point. The communication of dreams. The communication of dreams. So we see there's two powerful dreams that comes up here. The she's of grain. Genesis 37, 5, and Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it to his brethren and they hated him yet the more. See, Joseph tells his brothers about this dream and he showed them they were binding sheaves of grain in the field and how his sheep stood up and their sheaves bowed down to his. I don't know about you, but I grew up with four brothers and six sisters and I was the youngest. I could not go to my brothers and tell them that I had this dream about this, something like that, and said, oh, uh, I'm just going to let you know, God's going to make me a pastor, and one of these days, oh, you're going to bow down to me. I don't think so. I don't think so, you know. But that's what Joseph did. He, he gave them that dream because he, he told them this. Remember, he's getting these dreams from God. He's not making this up. The next slide Genesis 37, 8, and his brethren said unto him, Thou shalt indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more. I don't know how much hate they can come up with. They continue to hate him. You see, I would imagine that his brothers are so incensed that their emotional response was, and they hated him yet the more. But you need to know that Joseph is a picture of Christ. He's a picture of Christ. John 15, 18, if the world hate you, Ye know that it hated me before it hated you. So you're in good company. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the world hates you. And they don't want you to succeed. But if you're willing to, to endure the hardships, you can move forward. See, Joseph being 17, he probably understood the dream. And he, knowing how his brothers felt toward him, he still shared that dream getting a bad response. And then the second part of it was the sun, moon, and 11 stars. He dreams his second dream, and he tells that to his brothers, but also to his father, telling them that the sun and moon and 11 stars would bow down to him. The 11 stars signify his, his brothers. Jacob rebuked Joseph, saying, shall I and my, your mother and your brother and indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee? Even though his brothers envied him, his father observed the same. So I believe that Jacob was recognizing that these dreams came from God because he probably recalled when he went through dreams, when he was taken off running and the angel of the Lord wrestled with him. You see, at age 17, you would think that Joseph knew that telling his family about his dreams would bring animosity and anger. Uh, let me ask you a question. If you have children, and you have a favorite child, and so you decide to give your child a new car for graduation, and say you have three or four kids, and you give this one a new car when they graduated from high school, but the other ones you just gave them a, a nice little gift. You don't give them a car, you give them something more insignificant. What, what kind of animosity do you think that will, will bring about? They're not going to be happy about that because you showed favoritism to that one. And my wife and I, we have no children of our own, but she had three and I had two. So that's a blended family. We really had to be careful about showing favoritism back and forth. No, 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 that's my son. No, 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 that's my daughter. You can't say that. We treated them all the same as best we could, but we had to be careful about showing favoritism. Here's my point. Positive parenting 
is being able to reward good behavior among your children and not show favoritism to any one of them. James 1.5 says, if you lack, any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Here's my next point, the critical decision. There are critical times in our lives that we experience tough moments of anger, animosity, despair, and revenge when we believe that our space has been violated. The mere sight of that person develops and rekindles hatred. You don't have to say it, but it happens in church. People do things, or you are part of the family or whatever, and sometimes when you see that person on Sunday, you struggle with it. But you have to give that to God. Because in Genesis 37, 17 to 19, and Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan, probably showing off his royal coat. His brothers were incensed, and when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to slay him, and they said one to another, Behold, the dreamer cometh. You see, we will find that his brothers didn't kill Joseph, but they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And if that triggers something in your mind, our Lord was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. So what did his brothers do? They took his coat and dipped it into uh, a goat blood and took it to the father so that they could lie to him. Um, when you, you know, we've been looking at this functional family and Joseph's pops, who was no stranger to drama, Jacob knew that there was immorality and sin among his son, and he did nothing about it. He did nothing about it. His sadness about Joseph was no doubt real, but he now probably regrets showing favoritism to Joseph, believing that Joseph is dead. But he refused to be comforted. You ever, I, I've done a lot of funerals, and, I, and I've, just, I've seen people that just refuse to be comforted. Then I've seen situations where I've watched the, the faces of the family, and I watch how some people eyeball others when they hear somebody crying and, and out of control. And you can detect, like, there's some drama there. You can see it. And so I'm sure that Jacob was, was struggling with this, and it was probably his way of self-punishment because he knew that a lot of this drama was brought about by him because he was not the father that he needed to be. He was not leading his family. My point is we reap what we sow, but punishing ourselves would not bring an answer to our problems. Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Let me show you about my point that Christ in the midst of darkness. Christ in the midst of darkness. Interesting in that Genesis 38, the word of God shifts from Joseph. He's not there anymore. The story shifts. It focuses on Judah, Joseph's brother. Sometimes God pauses our timeline to prepare us for an awesome story to come. He stops the story of Joseph right there, and he starts focusing on Judah. So dysfunction continued to flow in this family. Jacob's sons, Judah, decide that he's going to go to the temple looking for a prostitute. And when he gets there, he had a son named Er, and Er had died. And so his widow, Tamar, decided that she was going to cover her face and go to the temple to trick him. So she did. She tricked him, and Jacob went into Tamar, his son's widow. Well, she became pregnant, and twins were born. The first one was Pharaoh's, and the second was Zerah. So in the midst of immorality and dysfunction, we find the genealogy of Jesus Christ in there. We find Jesus Christ in there. If you see that in Matthew 1.3, because it was through Judah's son, Pharaoh, that we see the line of Judah. Our Lord is the line of Judah. That, that continued family and drama and sin did not keep Jesus Christ from coming through that line. And so Jesus took, himself, took upon himself the form of a man, God in the flesh, being human like us, but he was sinless. So when you think that something great can't come out of dysfunction, there we go. Jesus Christ. He was in that line. I don't know why Jesus decided to come through that line. Can't tell you. But if you follow the line all the way up, you'll find out that there were some very dysfunctional people in his line. And that means that you and I can, can pick
pick ourselves up and say, you know what? God can use me. If God can use anything, he can use me. He can use you. Here's my point. The comfort in discipleship. So many of us have made mistakes and have sinned. Unfortunately, you struggle to find confidence in that God can use you because of your past failure. That is so far from the truth. Jacob's emotional breakdown pictures how we can allow failures and struggles in our lives to keep us from being fruitful in ministry. Going through life blaming ourselves is neither helpful nor healing. Family and personal dysfunction is not the prerequisite to complete ministry failure. You can be victorious through Christ. The point is the key to self-esteem and victory is forgiveness and transformation. Forgiveness and transformation. We find our forgiveness in Christ. Philippians 4, 8, and 9 tells us that on these things. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. See, you, just when you thought you were done and unfruitful, God will put your life back, back together and he will take care of your distressed mind and heart. So we won't have time to explore the full story of Joseph's rise to prominence and the false incarceration and the divine appointment. But I just want to look at how he looked back at his family, how he looked back at this historical dysfunction and decided to use those trials and tough situations to make him a better man, not a bitter man. Joseph was favored by Pops Jacob and probably discipled by his Pops, which was in his early stages of growth. You heard Kenny talk about that. And it was a blessing that, that God used us to do that. He probably got a lot of teaching, instruction, and definitely personal attention. You don't see that in the Bible, but you know that he had a life to live, so there had to be something going on, be seeing that he was Jacob's favorite son. And that alone did not go well with his brothers. The providence of God can be seen clearly in Joseph's life. It's just my thoughts, but I believe that God continued the discipleship process with Joseph, seeing that he had no earthly discipler once he got into Egypt, which is the world, and was sold into slavery, ending up in Potiphar's palace. God's hand was on him. God was directing his life through the many trials. The fact that God gave Joseph dreams shows him communicating with Joseph. You said, Dave, where are you getting all that? Well, it's right there. Look at my slide. In spite of the false accusation and imprisonment, God was with him. Ch chapter, 30, ch chapter 39, verse 2, and the Lord was with Joseph. Chapter 39, verse 21, and the Lord was with Joseph. He was there the whole time. If you think that God's not with you, don't let that happen. Don't let the, the devil steal your joy. Understand that the Lord will be with you if you decide to say, you know what, i, I got to give it over to the Lord. I can't let family dysfunction. My dad was this. My mom was that. I came out of an alcoholic background. Or I came out of a drug background. Anything you say that you came out of doesn't matter. That doesn't define you. It doesn't define you. You don't have to do that. So as we fast forward to this ending of the story, we saw him being falsely accused by his master's wife. He was in prison and interpreting the baker and the butler's dream. And the chief butler remembered him and told Potiphar, the Pharaoh, what he needed to do. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. God was with Joseph and spoke through him, interpreting Pharaoh's two dreams. Pharaoh was so pleased, he asked his servants, can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. My question is, what is your testimony? Can others see Christ in you? Here was a lost man, Pharaoh. He sees God in Joseph. Can your family see that in you? Maybe your brothers and sisters are not saved. Maybe your parents are not saved. Maybe your uncles, your grandparents, whoever. All of us have family dysfunction. If you don't have any family dysfunction in your life, then, wow, 
Praise the Lord. But I, I don't know how that could have happened. Because I, I just know that we're all, well, no, everybody has dysfunction because Adam was our father. And because we were born on Adam, there's dysfunction the right there. So we all came out of that. So what do those around you think of you? Do you long to be discipled or disciple others? Are you patient enough like Joseph to wait on God? You know, Joseph's character was revealed to Pharaoh, and he ended up marrying one of the priest's daughters. And he had two sons. We see that in Genesis 41. For Joseph's first son, he gave the name Manasseh, means God has made me forget. His second son, Joseph said, he called him, he called him Ephraim. But in the scripture in Genesis 41, Manasseh, for God said he hath made me forget all my toll in all my father's house. Joseph never forgot all the things that happened to him or his family dysfunction. When Kenny was bringing patients to my wife's lab, that was in Neuro. And my wife has tried to, when she was working at St. Luke's, she always wanted to try to do a brain test on me. And I said, no, because there's nothing there. So you, I don't want you to do any brain test on me. You know? But she would tell you about the parts of the brain, like the hippocampus and the amygdala, and all that's like the amygdala has emotions, right? And the hippocampus is your memory. And she will tell you, you cannot forget anything. If you think you can forget it, you can't. You might put it in there. It's like a computer. It's in there, and you may not remember it today. But what I tell people when it comes to forgiveness is that you can't forget it, just remember it differently. Remember it differently. You see, an, an effective disciple or discipler, you have to stop trying to forget past dysfunction and begin to forget about, forget about the pain that you experience. That's the key. Forget about the pain that you experience, not the situation. You know, I, I have a scar that, that happened to me years ago. I know how it happened. But I want to forget about the pain. I can't forget about the situation. Because if I think about the situation, then I'm thinking like, who did that? Why did this happen to me? That's not what God wants. Because his second son, Ephraim, means God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So Joseph was thankful for the God, to God. Here's my point. Thinking of suffering, emotional healing can come through discipleship and recognizing you're being chosen and receiving blessings from God. And quickly, Romans 5, 3 to 4. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patient experience and experience hope. Joseph was a, was a hyper 17-year-old teenager who angered his brothers. And, but he was patient, and he was a faithful, faithful young man connected to God daily. So I believe that he used those challenging times to develop self-confidence and his faith in God. Point is in James 1, 2 to 5. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. The forgiveness story. God was preparing the land to bring this dysfunctional family back together. He would do that for you. If you want to bring your family back together, if you haven't talked to, talked to your, your parents in a long time, and when I mean a long time, maybe you haven't spoken to them in six months to a year, two years to three years. Maybe something happened in your family and you struggle with it because they made some decisions you didn't like. You're sitting in this room, you're sitting in this church because you have given your life over to the Lord. And there's no reason why you can't say, you know what, I need to do this, okay? You know, Jacob did it. He submitted himself and he reached out to his brother. It was 20 years that that went on, 20 years. And he finally said, I'm gonna call my brother Lord and I'm gonna show up as a servant. And Esau forgave him. So what I wanted to accomplish today was be able to show you how we can come out of dysfunctional situations, out of dysfunctional families, and become the man of God and the woman of God that God desires you to be. 
regardless of your age, your history or whatever, you can become a pops to someone. You can become a moms to someone. And that your investment into their lives can enable them to reproduce and bear fruit. The scripture says in John 15, 16, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. You see, Joseph's two sons are a picture of God allowing him to produce fruit and forget the pain of dysfunction and become a fruitful disciple. Will you allow God to accomplish his eternal purpose in your life? Will you learn to embrace the sovereignty and providence of God? It will make a huge difference in facing difficult circumstances. Joseph took dysfunction, dreams, and he learned discipleship that brought unity and a new destination. His sufferings were used to bring comfort to family and others. Like Joseph, you, the believer, will have the opportunity to exhibit key faith and biblical truths when faced with an uncomfortable trials. The scripture says, as I wrap up, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comfort us all in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in trouble by the comfort therewith we ourselves are comforted of God. God is your comfort. No matter how, what kind of dysfunction you've been through, you've come through, or you're in right now, if you turn it over to the Lord, he will give you comfort. And you know, I, I will say when that part of the time when I was discipling your pastor, yeah, he, was, we, he, he did some unexpected visits, yes. <laughs> and I did some unexpected visits. So I wanted to keep him uh, accountable. But the fruit of that is so tremendous. And I, and I believe that every, every one of you that are sitting here, God has a plan for you. And you could start a tree. You could start a generational tree. Andrew was talking to me about the second generation of you know, the whole Vietnam thing. I mean, it's like, that's a huge blessing. But I want to show you this slide up there. The next slide. Look at that. That's huge. That's people who are all over this country, all over this world. I don't care about me being down at the bottom of that trunk of that tree. That's just, that's not, put God there. If you could, don't put me there. God just used me. And there, and there are many others that are not on that tree that we will find out who they are. And I told Andrew, we'll probably have to start a forest. <laughs> because I, I am so glad that God used us. And out of dysfunction, discipleship. So I, I pray that God will, will use you, that you will submit to it, and you understand that, that God is an awesome God, and he will, he will bless you. And I ask that you... Bless me and my wife as we continue to be used by God. Thank you so much. I will step away.